Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Love of Life podcast. And tonight, a little different, we're going to talk uh, everyone's favorite subject, your favorite subject, right? For sure. Po- politics. Uh, someone once said, you might not be interested in politics, but politics is very interested in you. So we're going to talk about politics and maybe some other things coming up next on the Love of Life podcast. Christian education. Because it serves him who says, I am the way, the truth, and the light is the love of life. This is the Love of Life podcast, conversations with Jesse and Courtney. Thank you again for joining us. We're talking to Ryan Height. Ryan is the communications director of the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, and he's coming to us tonight from the cesspool of Sodom, also known as the Swamp or uh, Washington, D.C. Ryan, how you doing? Thanks for coming on. I'm doing well, Jesse and Courtney. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate being here. Absolutely. So you are currently in Washington, D.C. Tell us, because this correlates, tell us why you're there. And then, of course, get into a little bit of what you do for a living. Sure. Well, um, we actually have offices in a couple different places. We've got some in the St. Louis area. And then, of course, we've got one out here in D.C. Phyllis Schlafly, um, if well, if anyone's not familiar, uh, she touched on so many issues across the political spectrum, most of which had to do with either the Constitution, sovereignty, the Republic and understanding of that or uh, pro-family, pro-life as as it relates to Christian values, essentially, you know, the uh, created in the image of God is the reason that we're pro-life or traditional marriage. This is God's prescription and it works And the socioeconomically. This is why we recognize it. So those two different directions have touched a lot of lives and a lot of issues. And, and as a result, she built a huge presence. Now, of course, Phyllis passed away here in 2016, uh, but she left behind an incredible legacy, a huge body of work, 70 plus years in public life uh, across a whole range of issues. So thankfully, she left behind a nest egg and the ability for us to keep fundraising and moving forward, because it is very important to talk about uh, a lot of these issues from uh, the traditional American, the traditional conservative values, which we derive from Judeo, uh, Judeo-Christian ethics. Uh, it's very important to keep doing that. So I, I trip out here to D.C., even though I'm based in St. Louis um, several times a year, and I'm here this week uh, to talk about patents and intellectual property. So Hmm. we've got an event that we do annually on that, which is kind of a niche thing that a lot of folks, it's not on their radar, but it should be because it is very uniquely American. And actually, it's one of the reasons that America is as prosperous as it is today. So it's a really neat subject to kind of trail off into, uh, even though it's not your average, you know, pro-life or pro-marriage or whatever it is, arguments that we typically hear. It's it's a really neat one. So it just, you know, speaks to the depth and breadth, in my opinion, of Phyllis Schlafly's legacy in American politics. So she hired me directly. I worked for her for several years before she passed away. I'm very happy to still be here uh, working with the succession uh, plan, the leaders that she put in place. And um, that's it. I, I got here by way of campaigns and elections. And now I just get to yell at everyone because I work <laughs> on issues on a nonprofit. So it's kind of freeing. I don't have to be for one person. I can just go for the issues. It's really nice. Sure. And you've been there a long time. That's right. This fall is my 10th anniversary wow. here. It's, it's it's the sign that you're getting old when you have a 10-year anniversary at a job, I guess. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I should also mention to the audience just that um, that we, we go back all the way to high school formative years a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, also, Ryan has a wonderful wife and three great boys. 
who we get to hang out with not enough. It's seldom, it's infrequent, but uh, we do need to be getting together with you guys again sometime soon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's just go back to politics. Uh, why do politics, especially for the Christian, matter? This is one of those kind of topics, one of those subjects where some people have strayed and walked away. They're not interested. Um, as I said, though, at the beginning, um, politics is very interested in us. And it also, uh, it embeds right. itself in our life daily, really. I mean, there's there's something all, all the time going on that actually um, impresses upon us on our lives uh, and, and, and who we are. So why do politics matter for the Christian? Well, I think this is actually a little bit of a uniquely American question that we're dealing with. And that's why I think it's so important that we that we um, get into politics is because, um, you know, obviously uh, politics and government, uh, civic life, you know, government is not king. Christ is the king. However, here in America, we are given an incredibly unique opportunity to be the sovereign. We don't answer to the sovereign. We are the sovereign, uh, you know, the uh, government of the people, by the people, for the people. It really is tasked to us, the citizen of America, in an incredibly unique way that you don't find in any other historical nation ever. And it is a responsibility that each citizen has, a, a civic duty, these phrases that we don't hardly use anymore. Uh, to be involved, at least at a, at a small level, to understand what's going on, to go and exercise your right to vote a couple of times a year. Um, and then, you know, maybe there's some meetings and some causes you want to show up for in an extra way. But all of us have a responsibility as citizens. So when you understand the scope of of what it is to be an American citizen, that really kind of lets you know if, if uh, Christians are to be, you know, leaders, if, if we are to lead for Christ, if we are to change our community around us, um, advancing the gospel. I mean, that. what better way, what more important way than here in America exercising that duty, that responsibility of citizenship that we have? Go and do it. It's not that you have to run for office, every single one of us, and not that we ought to legislate the you know biblical morality to the exact letter, but it, it is an incredibly important thing for Christians in the United States of America to be involved in politics, in my opinion, for that express reason. This is something that is given to us. And, you know, we talk about, I hear a lot of people get into Romans, you know, talking about this and answering to the government and this and that. I'm like, hey, let's, let's remember a key thing here, though. Those people that we sent there who are making money off of us, they're not the government. We are the government. They are our representatives. So what are you supposed to do? Submit to yourself? I mean, this is a, this, this gets a little bit of a different dimension when you start realizing we're not just talking about, you know, the, the King of England. We're talking about we the people. This is a very different thing to talk about. So I think that's, that kind of alone is a really good reason to dive off into why well, Christians of all people should be involved at a better level of understanding and voting at the very least, if not actually traipsing into the political realm, because what would we want to do? Leave it to you know, who's there now, you know, who, who I'm surrounded by. I'm, I'm two blocks away from the Supreme Court and the Senate office buildings. And it's not exactly, you know, a shining example of decency around here. But like you said, it's the swamp. Although it's mild this week, it's only 80 degrees. It feels quite lovely. Oh. It'll heat up, though, when Congress comes back in session. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, that also begs the question, you say we can vote. Does it make a difference? Yes, it does. Expand and the reason that, that it doesn't, well, the reason it doesn't make a difference now is because for far too long, too many haven't. 
Too many have completely unplugged. And as a result, what I would call the administrative state has just ballooned and taken over. The executive branch, I mean, and we'll go back to schoolhouse rock here, how a bill becomes a law. There's the executive branch, legislative branch, judicial branch. We have over the years, and I would argue this isn't just we the people, the, the American citizen have given up space. As, as different institutions have retreated from their duty, starting with the church and societies uh, or vacuums were created in society, there is definitely a void to step into. And who steps in? People who are looking for power and influence. So that chain reaction has gone all the way down to the point where it feels pretty hopeless. It feels like it doesn't really matter. And yet it does, because inarguably, there are still very big capabilities of of, of uh, electoral success and surprise to the system. I think that, you know, just in purely political terms, 2016 is one of the best examples of that, because every forecast said that Hillary Clinton's going to win. Donald Trump's not a serious candidate. No one thought he would win the primary. He did. He crushed the primary. No one thought he would beat Hillary Clinton. He did. He actually kind of crushed Hillary Clinton, electorally speaking, according to our, you know, modern day um, numbers. So there are very easy ways to look back even in recent history and see you can surprise the system when enough people put their mind to something and decide to really move in a big direction. Elections matter. Uh, now, I think that, um, and we don't even have to get into that here because I don't want to jeopardize your YouTube channel like I have jeopardized mine. But with 2020, <laughs> you know, I think that you can see, well, the system has a response for that. And it, it involves tinkering in very key ways in very, very few places. But man, if you tinker in the right places, you can really overcome the whole everyone else wants to do something. But mm -hmm. I think that 2016 is our last good reminder. Oh, wow. Elections actually do matter. It's just that all of us have to do that. I mean, what are we talking about? On big elections, we get 40 percent turnout, maybe. And that's not 40 percent of the citizens. That's 40 percent of those who are even bothered to register to vote. Only only 40 percent show up. Yeah, elections work. The problem is we aren't showing up for elections. Mm -hmm. That's the issue. Yeah. Well, so far, our podcast has zero strikes against it, and I'm feeling a little left out. So let's delve just a little bit into it. I'm, 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 I'm feeling like we can, we I'm can at least call one myself strike. the strike master, but bring it on. Let's do this. <laughs> you know, whatever. So, okay. Um, just kind of talking, we don't have to stay in 2020 by any means, but looking at that last election, um, as people that, Forget candidates for a second. As a voter, I feel very despondent, as do many people, when they feel like perhaps, maybe, the system is really just rigged against us, against the voter. Um, you know, I, yeah, I mean, we, we really haven't gone into this too much on our podcast or really said anything, particularly about this particular election, which was, you know, hotly debated and people have their own thoughts on it. Fine. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as a voter, I feel quite disenfranchised at this point, as do I know many. So what yeah. do what does someone who, like us, shares conservative Christian values and ethics who wants to vote for at least pragmatically a candidate who is maybe decent, a C minus, perhaps on the score sheet? Um how do we not feel like 2024 and beyond is going to completely be a, oh, looks like we're winning for three hours. We're going to stop the count. We're going to stop the vote. And oh, lo and behold, at two in the morning, now we're losing. How do how do how does that write its how do we write the course on that one? Because I feel like even if more people showed up to vote, how do we over how, how do we overcome a machine 
that says we're going to stop the vote and we're going to add however many votes we need to this count and we're going to still beat you even if 100 percent of christians showed up and i mean christians who understand politics and you know aren't left-leaning and 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 have decided that you know killing babies is somehow coherent with the word of god and you know made these weird rationalizations long question my apologies that's okay. No, I mean, it's a long question, but you kind of, you already touched on the answer in there. When you call it the machine, that's the whole point. If you think of it in, in that analogy of, of being in front of a machine, if you're supposed to, as, as the person, you know, or a group of people managing the machine, if you're supposed to make sure at different points along this assembly line that this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. If you just stop paying attention to parts of it, once it piles up, and way down this assembly line process, you start to see this massive, nasty pileup. You can't just right here fix it. You have to go back likely and clean up all this other stuff. So I would say likewise, I'm not actually sure that there's just a, we all show up at the same time and vote and it works out fine. I think there's more to do than that because we have for far more time than is possible for that solution. We just let this go on and we are where we are. So I really don't know if just everyone showing up to vote suddenly fix it, uh, fixes it. There's more that we have to do now. So, okay. yeah, the 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 um, hurdle that we have to jump is pretty big because mm-hmm. we have for so long stopped running. We okay. just stopped running the race. Well, now you got to play catch up. And yeah. I think that's where we are. But again, I think that that actually uh, to go back to 2016, I think this actually shows how one thing can matter for 40. You know, for instance, for 40 years, we are beating our heads against the system to try to overturn Roe v. Wade. This is the primary goal of the pro-life movement. All it takes is one wild-haired president, who no one thought would be that conservative, to install three people. Granted, he had the opportunity to install three on the Supreme Court. Usually it's two, sometimes only two over the course of two terms. So he really did have a golden opportunity. But hey, he did three things, and that has changed abortion policy in America for the next two generations, simply because of how the Supreme Court works. So if you get someone who gets that kind of wild hair and suddenly starts just bull in a China shop, shutting down federal agencies that shouldn't exist, stripping down the ones that should exist to zero and making them come back on a zero-based budget, if you get someone who really gets a wild hair, you know, it's possible to actually take some big chunks out of the system. Because again, the, the biggest bloat right now, really. I mean, Congress is slow, but Congress is supposed to be slow. The judiciary doesn't have a lot of power, but it's not supposed to necessarily have a lot of power. I think I would probably be inside most of conservatives' agreement when I say that the executive branch, the administrative, this is where most of the bloat has happened. We just do things and we have bureaucrats and appointees. No one's elected over here. They're all unelected. They're all unaccountable. And Mm -hmm. they just, it's turned from service into a career. Um, Even the military has become part of that executive branch bloat. So I think that there's a lot that we're going to have to do. And there are good ways that you can get someone there who can help you get really far down. But it's going to require, I think, more than elections at this point. Because to your point, how do we not just have 2020 over again? Um, I mean, we're going to have to we're going to have to find people from the government end, from the federal end, who are willing to come down hard on states that are. Uh, disenfranchising their their citizens and their voters. We're going to have to ha- find people who will literally show up, maybe not quite with torches and pitchforks, but show up to hold their county e- election board's feet to the fire. And, uh, and it's going to have to be lots of you know county election boards, lots of counties. It can't just be one or two. But I mean, 
it's going to require major pressure, major organization, grassroots level pressure on other people to come in. You know, maybe your secretary of state doesn't care, but your attorney general will care. Well, the AG can come in and start pushing around. It, it's just, again, it's kind of a multifaceted response. I don't think we're at the point where even 100% of Christians show up to vote and we change the whole thing. We have a lot to undo because we have let a lot of of just bureaucratic bloat and nonsense pile up over the last 50 years at least. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's a, it's a mess to undo. I, I don't want anyone to be disillusioned by that, but is it worth it or not? That's, that's the main question you got to answer. So what are some practical things that people, especially people that might live in some of those hot counties or States, what are things that they can actually do? How do, how do they put pressure on, or what does that look like? How do you begin that kind of thing? Well, you got to do it together. You have to find other people and then organize together. That's the whole point. This is how civic involvement in America works with leagues and protests and groups. And all of a sudden, when you can, with uh, 10 of your friends, you know, if, if, if you show up at the town hall meeting every month, you're the crazy guy showing up at the town hall meeting. But <laughs> if you and 10 of your friends show up and everyone organizes together and is very thoughtful about it and shows up, all of a sudden, other people start, you know, I, I want to what are you doing? I want to be a part of this. And then it grows. And then all of a sudden there's 12 of you, there's 15, there's 20, there's 40, there's 50. And it's very credible and it grows because naturally, generally people agree with each other on these kinds of things. And all of a sudden you've got some serious, like, Oh, I need to start listening to this group of people. Cause this coalition could get me out of office if they want to. And that's the thing is, is it really is, you know, it's, it's a little more complicated than that to just be able to threaten someone with losing their position of power. But that's about the, the, the bottom line of it. If you have enough uh, clout to potentially oust someone from office, bring another challenger in uh, to beat them, they're going to start paying attention to you. So the practical step, if you're very interested or concerned in something, um, I think you need to get together uh, with other people who are like-minded. And that's the thing. There are a lot of groups out there, or maybe one needs to be started. And again, if we are the government, if we are the sovereign in the United States of America, then this shouldn't just be an afterthought of, well, I have this and this and this and this to do. Well, your hobbies don't exist if we don't have a free nation. Your hobbies can't get funded if we don't have a free market. Your family doesn't eat if we don't have, you know, <laughs> the free markets <laughs> and uh, the protection of basic rights. I mean, this is this is your job. And if you're not going to run it, then someone else is, and they're going to keep getting elected with them and their few friends. And then they're going to keep appointing other people who don't care about you, but they care about who put them there. And this is where we are now. Like sure. what's, what's it worth to you? There's nothing in your life. That's a distraction other than, you know, your family and your faith that ought to come above this necessarily, because this is going to come along and wreck all of those other things. Um, I mean, it really is. This is the fourth, you know, I mean, you, Jesse, you and I had the same upbringing in high school as far as that uh, layers of government go. And this is the fourth layer of government. We've got the institutions of self-government, my responsibility directly to, to God, we have family government, next is church government, and next is civil governance. So, I, I mean, what more important thing is there in your life other than your family, your church family, and your relationship with Christ than to do this? Because otherwise, especially those first, well, those uh, two of those first three if you let this one go, someone's going to come along and shut you down or try to. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, that's kind of the direction that we're headed unless 
to your point, practical steps, people need to start, okay, I got to start sacrificing time. I have to start sacrificing some of my thoughts and organizing and helping and got to be involved. And then yeah. maybe, maybe we can go back to a point in the future where everyone doesn't always have to be involved at all this great level because we have really started to regain some, now I can just monitor the machine again. I don't have to get in their hands deep into the grease fixing it. All right, mm-hmm. 50 years, we got everything running now. I just have to pay attention again. Sure. We can keep going. Sure. Well, obviously we don't believe in a church run state, um, but what is the role of the church regarding say pastors? It seems in particular in the last, I don't know, 30, 40 years, pastors have really let the foot off the gas overall in our country. And, you know, we really just want to kind of lots of sermons are more about honestly, self-help in the Bible Mm -hmm. and, and Christ can empower you and enrich you. And I mean, just as far as big evangelical types of churches, it's, it's a lot of me centric kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Politics is like this hot button thing. It's almost, uh, it's, it's almost uh, a, a, a virtue to them to stay away from talking about politics. Oh, we don't talk about politics here, but Christ Mm -hmm. is Lord over all. So he's Lord over the political spectrum and sphere as well. What would you say, though, is a good balanced approach for a pastor? You don't want a a, a rah-rah sermon about a political candidate and party every week at every week at church, nor is that appropriate. I understand that. But what would you say would be an appropriate measure for a pastor to be preaching to his flock the importance of politics? Well, I mean, I think this is really where it comes in. I know it's it's kind of become um trite to say or or people don't like it but the whole politics is downstream of culture it's it's really true i mean politics is going to follow along with what the culture is doing or allowing to be done so where is culture getting a trickle down from well the people well where are the people getting their values from are they in church are they in good churches or have they left because the churches have all gone frou-frou and soft or this direction or the other i mean what you know what what is it so um i would say as far as pastors go, there is a need, you know, and I think I see I see this on all sides. Just like you said, um, I see far too many pastors who almost pride themselves on not getting into politics. Oh, we don't do that. Likewise, though, and I would say incorrectly, I see pastors who just go full bore politics from the pulpit, and it really shouldn't have to be that way. I, I actually appreciate. It. I heard a pastor say one time, a, a friend of mine, and I I appreciated it. Is that here's the deal. If um, I've got, you know, he said, I've got people in my church, I've got uh, Republican folks, Democrat folks, some kind of liberal folks, some kind of conservative folks, maybe no one crazy to the left or anything, but I got a lot of them in there. And I'm always so confused. I'm like, man, what are you listening to? Like, where are you pulling some of these values? Or you're not putting together how this works. And he said, I realized like I could stand there and preach that at them. Like we're going to, I'm going to talk about the political side of this, but the reality is it's obviously they don't understand the Bible and the words of Jesus like they ought to. So that's my job. I need to be faithful to the word. I need to not let, you know, off the gas when it comes to important things, because it is my opportunity to talk about value. So for instance, he hits the, you know, I I remember, I recall watching him at some point when the, um, a big spike was, was coming up. I don't remember what event it was, but it was something around the, the transgender movement was happening. And he talked about how, you know, some, I don't remember what it was, but he made a comment about how essentially, you know, yes, there is a there is a very simple answer to this. We are all searching for purpose and identity. 
and you will never be able to identify yourself. Your identity is given to you by a master creator who loves you. This is what we need to tell people. It's not that we need to tell them you're wrong. It's not that we need to tell them this. That. We need to let them know you do have an identity. And guess what? I know who gave it to you and you can too. Would you come and talk to him? Like I can get people to this deeper level. So it's very, there, there are a lot of ways to get into these issues and just go straight to the bottom line rather than hitting the political bandaid thing uh, for preaching from the pulpit that we need uh, state legislatures to pass certain laws to protect kids. Uh, yeah, you could do that. But the whole point is we need to steer culture away from this idea that you need to go on the hunt for your identity from other people or from yourself. You need to go to the person who gave you your identity. Like there's the deeper level to hit. And I'm always appreciative when I see pastors who understand I can be bold in the deeper level and connect the dots. Tell them this is the issue I'm talking about. But here is how we as Christians ought to respond to this. I could go out and tell someone why you're wrong for voting for these people to do this, but I need to put them to the deeper value that we find in scripture of why this matters. And if we can get people to understand this, we're going to then be able to connect the dots for them. Here's then what we need to do about it in this area. But first, we must understand this. So I'm seeing a lot of good pastors start to hone in on that. I say a lot, you know, in the circles that I run in. But I feel like there's a good mixture out there that is starting to come up of people who know how to address these issues without just hitting the political overtones and then leaving. No, no, I'm I'm here for the deeper level because we have to plant here. Otherwise, you're going to listen to me and agree and then be distracted again because I didn't actually capture the core value for you to understand why, as a believer, this matters in this way. So I think that's really where pastors need to go for is, yeah, you say it and connect the dots for everyone. But you know, camp out down here where it matters and teach people why, because then you're teaching them to think for themselves when they approach another issue. That's a brand new one. Heaven knows what that's only going to look like when the next thing happens, they'll <laughs> know what to do. Well, I got to go to scripture. I'm going to go ask my pastor. Okay. What, what about scripture? Well, let's start to boil it down. Well, let's stop talking about, uh, you know, it's not even gay marriage. It's not even drag shows. It's now, you know, the sexual mutilation of children. Uh, right. without their you know parents consent and even uh, notification but like what what's the value though like this could keep keep getting more and more hyperbolic and yet real but what's what's the value what is the general thing people are searching for purpose meaning and identity that's kind of the bottom line of a lot of this stuff i don't feel like i fit in well maybe you're gay well maybe you're an actually a woman trapped in a man's body i don't feel like i fit in well that's fine go find the person who created you to fit somewhere because he has the place for you there's a way to get down to that value i think that pastors teaching their flocks to do that could really make a, a pretty significant difference but that requires teaching the bible not a self-help <laughs> class right because it's not self-help yeah that's great and true <laughs> um you are a history guy so who is your favorite american president my favorite american president <laughs> I have so many. If I could just combine attributes of like different ones and put them into one mega person, that would be wonderful. But okay, break that down. What are your favorite <laughs> attributes from different presidents? Well, um, let me let me say this. Some of the, you know, we all know George Washington, John Adams, we all know some of the greats um in, in there. But honestly, let me let me say this. One of my one of my favorites who's kind of an unsung hero, John Quincy Adams. Uh, was he number five? No, six. John Quincy Adams is number six, right? 
Yep, six. Come on, you're homeschool parents. Thank you. Well, we, Give we, me. Go, I'm on, we go through it all the time. We do. Six, yeah, so. exactly. That's why I just I blanked there. It's it's I'm on Eastern time and I'm in the swamp. It's all cloudy over here. <laughs> um, you're all but right, John Wednesday. Quincy Adams, number six. Not even when he was president. Uh, um, he's not known for anything. It seems, but he should be because he, after his uh, time in, in the presidency, uh, went on to the Senate. And this made me appreciate and go dive into his life all the more because he was just steady and solid. And it it really showed in the Senate, he fought year after year, session after session for the abolition of slavery. This was his thing. And I remember there was a, a time recorded, one of his younger protégés in the Senate had asked him, why, why do you do this year after year? It goes nowhere, but you devote all of this energy and emotion to this. What What's the deal? Why not? And his response, why, why do I do this? His response is, Results are God, are our God's. Duty is ours. The results are God's. I, I, I know what is right, therefore I obey and move forward. Necessarily seeing it through to the end, that you know, it's my job to obey. It's God's job to have the results. And I, I'm always um, astounded by that. I love that. And it kind of makes me look back on his entire presidency, this solid and steady, even though nothing huge happened. That's the kind of character that we need from um, not just, you know, public servants, that's the kind of character we need from believers right now. It is my job to be obedient. It doesn't mm. matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what I think should happen. It doesn't matter what I can figure out may or may not happen. If I know what I'm supposed to do, it's my job to be obedient. And, um, that's for, you know, for that reason alone, I have gained a whole new respect for John Quincy Adams, even though his presidency was kind of unremarkable. That is the kind of man that we ought to have modeled in society again. But, you know, there's a, there's just, there's a lot of good ones. There's a lot of good ones over. So. Teddy Roosevelt. I know you like reading about Teddy. Teddy Roosevelt. I named a kid, Teddy. I, <laughs> I had to, and I call him, I call I actually call him Teddy Rue every once in a while because okay. I just make up nicknames for the kids. I'll say Teddy Rue. And he's like, I can call me Teddy Rue. I'm like, well, Teddy Roosevelt's R O O S yeah. and so on. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, it's kind of just, I don't know. It just came to me. But, I think that's bully, uh, Ryan. <laughs> I know, right? That's but bully. Uh, no, I mean, we need, you know, you look at Teddy Roosevelt's life, even though I disagreed with him later in, politi- in, in political life, you read about his early life. He made himself. I mean, he was a, he was a sickly kid. And I think his father eventually just told him, here's the deal, son. You're never going to grow big and strong. You are going to have to make yourself. And he did. He just decided I will become physically fit and athletic and imposing and outdoorsy and everything else. And he just, he made himself. And I mean, think about that compared to the young people around in society today. That (laughs) is an incredibly, you know, admirable thing. Um, Even if you disagree with what you think is the right thing to do, man, I'm going to latch onto it like a bulldog and not go anywhere else. We need some of that. We had that in Andrew Jackson, even though he was a terrible, terrible Andrew Jackson started so much of the modern Democratic Party that ought not to be there. He also paid down the national debt and disbanded the National Bank. God bless him. And uh, he was an incredible military leader who just, no, we're going to do this because it's what we're supposed to do. There's resolve across all of our history of presidents and leaders. And anymore, it seems like the resolve has only become resolved to be popular or not Mm -hmm. unpopular and resolved to advance myself resolved to get to the next thing. That's it. It's all very much self um, centered. I was going to go for a different word, but it is, it's just self centered at the end of it, whether it's your longevity or flashiness or just never being without um, it's, it's really pretty incredible to see that shift happen and the notions of duty and honor and where those things come from, the higher things, the we do something because it is greater than myself 
uh, which is, I mean, ultimately that is a, you know, Christian perspective. That stuff is, is gone. Yeah. For the most yeah. part. Yeah, it is. Talk to us just a, uh, briefly here. Uh, we're coming to an end. Talk to us though about uh, news and consuming news. So it seems that uh, much of the news is propaganda. It's misinformation. I know at one point I was uh, a consumer of one of the news networks and even as of late, I just don't find even a reason to watch them anymore. So um, for those like myself and others who are disgruntled about the news, is there any trustworthy either A, journalist, or B, news network that we can listen to and, and maybe find some verified information coming from them? Verified. Well, first of all, you're allowed to openly bash Fox News to me. It's okay. I'm not going to judge you for being a former Fox watcher. I know no, you're I'm not. Kidding. <laughs> I know I'm I'm kidding I'm kidding I know it was MSNBC. Yeah, um, that's right, my favorite. But, <laughs> my favorite is you're just a Rachel Maddow guy through and through <laughs> every night. He pegged me. Um, I, <laughs> uh, what I would say first of all, uh, cast aside the notion that you're going to find unbiased news. Unbiased news doesn't exist, and you know right. what? That's okay. I want my newsman to be biased toward the truth. Yes. I want my newsman to be biased toward the facts and and hunting down what what needs to be found. I yeah. think that's an important thing, uh, an important bias to have. So in light of that, I would say that um, I mean, I could sit here and name off, but here's here's the pattern to look for. Um, there are some smaller networks that actually do a pretty good job. But if you find especially a group or an individual that gets ostracized, that is kicked out of their position that is removed from the spotlight, that is often, and I'm not, not for bad reasons, you know, when, when Don Lemon gets kicked off because it turns out he's harassing people from CNN, I'm not saying go follow Don Lemon, but when a Tucker Carlson gets booted from Fox news, and it all looks very suspicious because Tucker's constantly talking about stuff that no one else talks about. When a James O'Keefe gets removed from the organization, Project Veritas, that he created, the original hidden camera people um, who've overturned Planned Parenthood and Acorn and all these other awful places. When when these people get removed from a position of influence, take a look. Because yeah. usually that is the system. That's the machine shutting down someone who is a very dangerous liability. So I don't always agree with Tucker, but I yeah. think that Tucker is one of the most important voices in news. I don't always agree with James O'Keefe, but I think that James O'Keefe is one of the most important voices, if not the most, in investigative journalism. Because if they are willing to hack off the wrong people who sure. will come down like a sledgehammer, that person is probably on the trail of truth and transparency. Whether they understand it, whether they're coming at it from the right worldview, they are at least pursuing transparency, finding yeah. what is, not what I want to see. Um, and I think that that's a big pattern to look for, but I mean, that in mind, there are a lot of places that aren't bad. I just named two of them follow Tucker. I see they're trying to draft Tucker for president. I actually called that two weeks ago. Just saying this is, this is a little, what do you think the possibility of that is by the way, do you think that's just pipe dreaming or, uh, do you think, well, I have my own, I have my own pipe dream for media, media coverage for the GOP tickets in 2024, but we don't have to go into all of that here. It's a, it's it's the it's my master plan for people to forget that the Democratic Party even exists, but uh, <laughs> that goes off into the weeds. Um, but no, I, I think that um, I think that Tucker is a good one to look at. There's a lot of good uh, organizations like Newsmax, uh, One American News. They still do a good job. Uh, there's some print ones as well that you can go to. The Epic Times 
is wonderful. I mean, it's, you know, people don't really know about them, but it came out of the free China press, basically, that got booted when communism took over China. Um, they were pushed off. Uh, I, I forget if they went to Taiwan first, but the, the leaders of this free China press ended up in Canada as 50 years ago. And they're the originators of the Epic Times, really the dissidents that would not bend the knee to communism. It's a great paper. They are willing to go in depth on so many cool things. So there are great resources out there, both of our modern 24-7 American news cycle uh, variety and of the longer form, traditional investigative 20-part in-depth journalism, you know, kind of variety. They're out there. Um, but look for look who look for whoever is they are trying to shut her. Yeah. And, and be and make be quiet. You're probably going to find someone who's looking for the truth in all of the uncomfortable places for the machine. Right. Right. Very good. Very good. Do you have any do you have any questions? You wanted to talk RFK Jr., didn't you? <laughs> you want to talk about how great he is? That was not me. Oh, that. Oh, OK. I was about to say, I, I think you're looking at the wrong person. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. Well, I know it would be unpopular uh, to talk probably about uh, about great things on about RFK and 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 maybe the political party he's a part of, but I think he's doing some really great things nonetheless. Even though he's affiliated with a party that I think is uh, far gone. I mean, apply my rule. Who who is who is? Well, I say my rule. Apply the rule that I just stated. It's not my rule. I didn't come up with it. But like, what's he doing? He is disrupting right. the system. He's right. asking the questions that no one on that side wants him to ask. A lot of people on the Republican side don't want him to ask. He's making accusations and pointing fingers that no one wants to talk about. I mean, again, I am not saying I agree with RFK Jr. and everything, but I have an incredibly uh, high opinion of him and a high appreciation for him because he is making the people who ought to be made uncomfortable, very uncomfortable yes. by saying and asking things that no one in the, in the machine wants him to ask. I say more power to him. Mm hmm. It's a lot of fun to watch. That's for sure. Well, Ryan, yes, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You did me a yeah. favor tonight. You did us a favor tonight. I Absolutely. was on your show last week, which was a ton of fun. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it's delightful to have you on here and talk to you. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate being a part of it. I'm really grateful for what you all do. You have a lot of wide ranging conversations. And uh, anytime you want to go deep into politics, you know where I am. Absolutely. Well, stay safe in the swamp. I will try. I'll swim my way out in a couple of days here. But until then, we're going to go talk about some patents and intellectual property stuff. So lots of fun. All right. Yep. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Love of Life podcast, Conversations with Jesse and Courtney. It is our duty through our schools to create a new one, a God-centered one. We are told in Proverbs 8, verses 35 and 36, For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death.